This is Pastor Clint Ribble, and you're listening to the Grace Point Church Podcast. For more information, please visit gracepoint.net. Well, last week, my friend Dr. Forrest Harris was was with us. Uh, For those of you that were with us, you... um, you remember the service that we had, the message that he spoke. Um, that service has inspired me to do a message today that I'll just call listening, the way of Jesus. Listening, the way of Jesus. I was talking to Pastor Chris. She told me before service, I thought this was great. Uh, of course, counselors like Mike Malloy, one of my friends, longtime counselor here, is one of the best listeners in town. But, uh, and I say that, he's one of the best counselors. But Chris said, um, listening is the art of being curious. And I think that's, that's true. That's a huge component of what it means to listen. I suppose the appeal that I'm going to make today is when you're not curious. When listening is not the art of being curious, it is at least an act of love. Listening, the way of Jesus. We invited Forrest, my friend, who's the president of American Baptist College over on the north side of town and a longtime professor, leader, Vanderbilt's Divinity School. We invited him here to reflect on the matter of civil rights because the preceding Monday, you remember, had been the federal holiday, Martin Luther King Jr. Day. So it seemed appropriate that we would have my friend here to talk to us. There were things that Dr. Harris said regarding education, opportunity, poverty, oppression, freedom, if I didn't say it, I'll say it again, race. There were things that Dr. Harris said, well, as a matter of fact, everything he said on those matters, like all talk, uh, is subject to interpretation. Not only were those things subject to interpretation, but because of the personal nature of those things. Those things were also, that he said, like myself, subject to agreement and disagreement. The several standing ovations he received in both services, I think, were testimony to the fact that there was a significant amount of agreement. And the one thing that I dislike in moments like that about standing ovations is when everybody around me is standing and I don't feel like standing. You ever got caught up in that? And if you stand, you feel like a hypocrite, and if you don't stand, you feel like a curmudgeon. And that's awkward. But I I feel like I can always, when people are standing, find a reason to stand, at least in Christian settings. If not solidarity with the idea, at least solidarity with the heart behind the idea. But when it comes to agreement and disagreement, there was a a lot of agreement. A lot of phone calls, texts, and emails uh, came in supporting the things that he said. Not all of them, but at least some of them for each person. There were a few phone calls, texts, emails, and personal conversations, and I might add all civil, kind, and Christian. But there were a few that I received and engaged in this week that were testimony to the fact that there was also disagreement 
The subjects that he addressed could not be addressed without there being a vulnerability in the midst of, I don't know, 500 adults listened to him. They were vulnerable, obviously, and he knew that, I knew that, to disagreement. Now, I would very much like to say that neither the agreement nor the disagreement were the point of last week's service. A service in which we opened our platform and our hearts to another human being. Civil Rights Week. The agreement and the disagreement were not the point in the service. The service where we opened up our heart and our platform to another human being, another child of God, another Christian, a minister who is black and who represents a social location very different than mine and many of yours. No. The point last week was not affirming ideas or rejecting notions. The point last week was not engendering vociferous amens nor walkouts. The point was doing something that takes far more discipline. The point was doing something that I believe is far more Christian. The point was doing something that I don't know that the church in corporate worship settings frequently attempts, and I don't know that we should, but periodically I do think we should try this. The point last week was to do something that takes a lot more discipline, a lot more Christianity, a lot more spiritual maturity, a lot more agape, charity, Christian love. The point? The point last week was to listen. And I know you're underwhelmed by that line, but I hope by the end of the service, the Holy Spirit will undergird my words. The point last week was to do something incredibly holy called listening. Not just to listen for ourselves out of curiosity or the acquisition of useful knowledge, but to listen on behalf of the other. I don't know about you, but I was particularly moved by this man who has long experience in the church because in both services and afterward, he walked out our door. He stayed and ate at the welcome luncheon with us. And all the way out the door, he kept saying, nobody's offered this to me. Did you hear him in the service? Nobody's, nobody does this. I've never done this before. Every time I kept thinking to myself, really? Really? The point last week was as much for Dr. Harris as it was for us. The point last week was to lift, listen for the benefit of the other. To listen on behalf of the other. And it's this kind of listening for mutual benefit, because always there is the benefit of the self when you're listening. Anything you do for another, Paul said, when you share with another, not just money, but time, ear, heart, when you share, you're laying up for yourself treasures where moth and rust can't corrupt. You're depositing in the temporary life of another an eternal dividend for yourself. 
And this kind of listening that doesn't deny the self, that purposely focuses on the other, this kind of listening is holy. And it's a fulfillment of the command that Jesus gave, reiterating the pages of the Old Testament text. When asked what was the greatest commandment, Jesus said, of course you know, it's to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And yet Jesus, giving that full nod toward the divine and our command to love the divine, Jesus couldn't stop talking. He said, and yet you can't do that unless you give heed to the second command, which is like unto the first. Siamese twins that cannot be separated without jeopardizing the life of both. And that is to love your neighbor. To love the one who doesn't live in your house but lives beside. To love your neighbor as you love yourself. We all know there are different levels or kinds of listening. And I don't mean to act like a kindergarten teacher, but sometimes things that go without saying, go without saying so long we forget them. Even Webster's Dictionary points out that there's different kinds of listening. We all, if I threw it out there, would know the nuanced difference between what we mean to hear and what we mean to listen. But Webster, even speaking to that issue of listening, Webster says the first definition of listening is to pay attention to sound. You listen to music. To pay attention, to turn your ear and to pay attention to sound. But Webster says the second definition of listen is to hear something with thoughtful attention. To hear something with thoughtful attention. To give consideration. One dictionary said to incline not only your ear but your heart to. Oh, I like that. To attend to another's voice. Even the word hear, again, we could feel the nuanced difference between listen and hear, but even the word hear is nuanced this way in the dictionary. Same dictionary, Webster, uh, first definition of hear is to have the capacity, to have the capacity. We're talking about biological systems, an auditory system, physiological capacity. To hear is to have the capacity of apprehending sound to perceive or apprehend by the ear. But finally you get to the third definition of Webster's when it comes to hear, and even hear, Webster says, is to listen with attention. Anybody here ever had a spouse look at you and say, you're not hearing me? There is auditory recognition and then there is seeking to understand someone's meaning. There's hearing with my eardrum and then there is my heart reaching through my eardrum, through the mouth of another and tunneling its way through charity and love down to their heart and wanting to know their meaning. Not wordsmithing them with a legalistic technicality but looking beyond the dotted I and the cross T and trying to feel the pulse of their heart. I think this is what Jesus was getting at when he would often say, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. You hear what he's saying there? He who has ears to hear, let him hear. 
The contemporary English version renders those words of Jesus, if you have ears, pay attention. The new contemporary version has Jesus saying, you people who can hear me, now listen. And finally, Eugene Peterson's message that we love to uh, turn to for matters like this, Eugene Peterson has Jesus saying, are you listening to this? Question mark. Really listening? Question mark, exclamation point. Are you really listening? On one occasion, Jesus' disciples asked him, they were curious, they were confused, and they asked him, they said, Lord, why do you speak to the people in stories or parables? Matthew 13, this is Jesus' response. Why do you talk to people in stories and parables? Now, a lot of people have interpreted that Jesus spoke in parables as a direct attempt to confuse people. I think that's a horrible interpretation. You all know that when I break into story, I'm a much better preacher than when I stay in my head and logical, systematic theology. The disciples said, Lord, why do you talk to people in parables and stories? He said, this is why I speak to them in parables. He essentially said, because they have trouble hearing. And I get that. When I get all up in my head in theology, I watch you guys glaze over. And when I sit down and say, now, what that means, I was sitting with Nina the other day. Why do you talk to us in stories? This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they don't see. Though hearing, they don't hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing but never understanding. Our exercise last week was not to agree or disagree. And I'll come more fully to that in a moment. Our exercise was to listen. And I was amazed that a 65-year-old mentor of mine who has long years in a very healed ministry, H-E-E-L-E-D, walked out of here shaking his head. And he may have wounded a few of you, but he walked out with sutures and band-aids on his heart. And I thought, yay, God. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people, see, this is something that a hearing aid cannot help. This is something that surgery can't fix. For finally Jesus gets to the real issue of holiness. It's not about ears, it's about hearts. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears and they've closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts. There it is. They might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and turn and I would heal them. Jesus is clear to listen as he called us to listen last week. To listen as he called us to listen last week 
We got one or two weeks a year down here in Williamson County to remind ourselves specifically about civil rights and human rights. And Jesus last week called us to listen. And Jesus was very clear that his call to listen was not a decision of the ears, it was a decision of the heart. A decision to truly give attention. It's why I preach the way that I preach. It's why I pester and question and trouble and to some degree torment on behalf of people who desperately need us to listen to them. People who have no voice with us. Jesus said, this is a decision of the heart to truly give attention until you understand, not agree. Oh, the triviality of agreeing and disagreeing. But Jesus said to give attention until you understand not only the words, but you understand the heart of the one you're listening to because all of their words are more than the sum of the parts. There is essence behind them. They sit down at the typewriter, Red Smith, and they open a vein. And I listened to a man last week, and at times I agree with him, at times I disagree with him, and both of those things were trivial as I watched a human being bleed into a microphone and speak on behalf of others. Jesus' life was an incredible example of a life not being heard. Uh, Jesus can speak to this like no other. Jesus' life was an astonishing example of what it means to not be heard. Jesus' life, his ministry, was an astonishing example of what it means not to be listened to, not to be understood. You see, two days after his triumphal entry, we'll be celebrating that in a couple of months. Palm Sunday, we call it, the Passion Week. Well, two days after his triumphal entry into Jerusalem and only a few days before his arrest and execution, most scholars fix this somewhere about the Tuesday between the Sunday and the Friday crucifixion. On that Tuesday, the Bible says, Jesus lamented the tragedy of not being heard. Look at the text, Matthew 23, 37 through 39. Just a couple of days out from a cross, Jesus steals away and says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, city of David. He was the son of David. He was the redeemer of Israel. And this was her heart. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, your people have killed the prophets. Who are the prophets? They are those who speak for God. Your people have killed the prophets and have stoned the messengers who were sent to you. Why? Because they didn't like the message. Because they disagreed. I have often wanted to gather your people as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. I have often. Why did he talk to us in stories? It was more than just saying, I love you. In his appeal, he said, you know that old chicken out back that brings your little babies under. And you've even heard the cliched stories that are true of the old mama hen who covered those babies and the fire raged and the old farmer kicked the mama hen and the baby scurried, gave up her life. How oft would I 
How many times did I want to gather your people as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you wouldn't let me. And now, he said, your temple will be deserted. You won't see me again until you say, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. In other words, you won't see me again until you see me. I will not dispose myself to this ineffectual not being seen. It would be better for me and you to let you get rid of me. And maybe, maybe like Nicodemus, who was three times called a disciple of the night, even after having that encounter in John 3 where Jesus said, you must be born again, and looked into the eyes of one man and said, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. And yet Nicodemus never converted and as a Pharisee of the Pharisees, a member of the Sanhedrin, the Bible said when Nicodemus saw Jesus give up the ghost and die, he took off his professional clerical robe and he begged the body of Jesus. Jesus said, no more flapping my gums. You're not going to see me again until you see me. How many wives have walked out? How many husbands have walked out? How many children have walked out and said, you're not going to see me again until you see me. You're not going to hear me again until you hear me. How many relationships have had that line drawn in the sand? Hear what Jesus is saying. I will not, I will not be here unseen any longer. It would be better for you and me to let you get rid of me. I suppose, I, I suppose the point is, if we have trouble hearing, if we have trouble listening to a human being, huh, the point here, as it occurs to me, is if we have trouble hearing and listening to a human being who happens to be God, I mean... By our definition and belief, right? This was God that they wouldn't listen to. And so the point is, if we have trouble hearing and listening to a human being who happens to be God, what does that say? You might say, well, on, on the, you, know, to their, uh, you know, to their defense, they didn't know Jesus was God. Surely, if they would have known that he was God, they would have listened up. Well, yes, uh, maybe. But let's give the benefit of the doubt. Yes, if they would have known he was God, they would have listened better, right? But I think that makes the point even more clearly. Don't miss this. The fact that they didn't know he was God, and by the way, the fact that he didn't really at that point want them to know he was God. If he would have wanted them to know he was God, he would have told them. But the point is made more clearly by the fact that they didn't know this was God. That's what he was trying to say. Sure, he came trying to get our relationship right with God, but he also came trying to get our relationship right with each other 
because those, those two are so intertwined that they might actually be pretty close to the same thing. And he especially knew that there was no way we were going to get everything right with this invisible God if we couldn't even get things right with his children. So I, I think the fact that they didn't know it was God makes the point even more clearly about how holy this issue of listening is, what he was really trying to say. Starry, starry night. They would not listen. They're not listening now. Perhaps they never will. He was God, so you've got to know. Forget about them knowing he was God, but if he was God, you've got to know his words, his ideas, and his messages were truth, right? Everything the guy said, he was God. And the stuff he said was good. If so, then even if they didn't know he was God, his ideas and words should have been enough. I mean, if this is God's talking, you, you ought to listen. And even if you don't know it's God's talking, this is God unwitting talking, and he's saying really good stuff. It should have been enough. It was enough. But it wasn't enough. And when Jesus reflected back on that moment and tried to understand why it wasn't enough to get people to really listen to him, Jesus didn't say it was because he was impossible to understand. Jesus didn't say because I was God, I was talking about such erudite things, esoteric things, that it just, it, I just couldn't get the cookies to the bottom shelf. Jesus was God, and he said the stuff of God, and the people didn't listen. And he didn't pull out the badge and say, listen, I'm God. You better hear these things. No, he left it alone, and he left us to a very human exercise of listening to another human being. And because he wasn't in their party, in their class, in their group, again and again and again, they didn't listen. And Jesus said it wasn't that I was impossible to understand. Jesus said their hearts, and this is the stuff of worship service. This is the stuff of preaching. This is the exercise every now and then to bring somebody in like Dr. Harris. Because we have calluses. Jesus said their hearts were calloused and their minds, listen to this, their minds were stubborn. Now, I just want to say this about stubbornness. In its proper place, it can be a pretty good virtue. But I also want to say this about stubbornness. It is not listed as one of the fruit of the Spirit. And Jesus said this had nothing to do with how good the idea was. It had everything to do with their heart. Arms folded. Wary look. Their hearts had calluses. Jesus knew what a callus was. Calluses are layers of skin that the body builds in defense against blistering pain. So often underneath the words of one is pain. Often underneath the ears of the other is pain. And our calluses keep us apart. 
Oh, the sensitivity of Jesus to know what was the problem. Their hearts had been hurt, and on those blisters of pain, they had developed calluses. And they looked strong and intimidating and mean, but Jesus never bought it. He looked beneath, and he knew the self-surviving protective mechanisms we build that callous us against one another. They weren't physically blind, Jesus said. Listen to his words. He said, I, I, I came. I was the express image of God. The Johannan community looked back and First John says, we touched him. We saw him. Peter said, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. No, no, no. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. His majesty. But Jesus said he came and a guy like John the Baptist who had every reason not to looked and said I must decrease that he may increase. He looked and instead of seeing a cousin John shook his head with spiritualized Rex and said behold the Lamb of God I must decrease that he may increase. Jesus said they were not physically blind. Jesus tellingly said they shut their eyes spiritual blindness is the willful shutting of my eyes either because I know they're wrong and I'm certain of it or I know I'm right and I'm certain of it or I'm too scared and insecure with my own misgivings to subject that kind of vulnerability. And just maybe at least part of the reason that Jesus didn't declare himself divine, maybe the reason he didn't declare himself God was because he didn't want us listening to him because he was God. You say, now that's, that, that doesn't sound right. Well, actually it does if you think about it. In Matthew 25, at Judgment Day, Jesus says, I was hungry, and you fed me. And we say to him, when did we see you hungry? And he says, smiles. And he said, when you did it to the least of these, you were doing it to me. And it's striking to me that he doesn't let that cat out of the bag until the end. And... I can say this, I don't have a lot of power or a lot of position, but in the little bitty pond that I operate in, I have had people, when they found out that I was in this little pond in a position of authority, they treated my loved ones differently. And I don't want to hire a youth pastor who treats Stan Mitchell Jr., really well because he's a senior pastor's son. That's why we hired a guy like Jeremy who has a heart for kids, not to ingratiate himself to his boss. And I think God feels that way about his children. If he would have come in van and said, listen, here it is, everything you do for human beings, forget about them, it's all about me. But to the very end, unwittingly, and the sheep say, when did we see you? 
Maybe part of the reason that Jesus didn't declare himself divine is he was teaching us something about our relationship with other human beings. He was teaching us something about ourselves. Maybe the reason that I didn't tell you last week that the reason we were having Dr. Harris was to listen was because I just wanted the process to endure. I wanted the phone calls and the emails and the walkouts and the ovations to happen. Visceral responses, and then I wanted us to do the good work of spirituality and reflect back on it and say, what was that? The reason he didn't say he was God from the get-go is because he wanted to teach us something about our relationship with other humans. He wanted to teach us something about ourselves. He wanted to teach us something about our relationship even with truth. 1 John 4, 19 through 21 we love because God loved us first, but if we say we love God and don't love each other, we're liars. We cannot see God, so how can we love God? How can we love God if we don't love the people we can see? The commandment that God has given us is love God and love each other. Listen to Jesus in his greatest sermon, Luke 6. This is what I say to all who will listen to me. Great line. This is, what, this is what I say to everybody who will listen to me. But if you won't listen to me, it's as if I'm not even saying it. This is what I say to all who will listen to me. Love your enemies. Who are these others that we're supposed to love? Love your enemies. And be good to everyone who hates you. A good spiritual exercise would be for us every now and then to bring an enemy in and try to love them. But that's probably too big a task to do corporately. So I'll never do that. I barely got away with bringing a Democrat in, much less an enemy. And that might be the same for some of you. Love your enemies and be good to everyone who hates you. Ask God to bless anyone who curses you and pray for everyone who is cruel to you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, don't stop that person from slapping you on the other cheek. If someone wants to take your coat, don't try to keep back your shirt. Give to everyone who asks, and don't ask people to return what they have taken from you. I understand this is hyperbole, and I understand, Chris, there's a whole conversation here about codependence, but Jesus often spoke in extreme tones because he knew that we were so far in the opposite direction. Treat others just as you want to be treated. If you love only someone who loves you, will God praise you for that? Even sinners love people who love them. If you're kind only to someone who's kind to you, will God be pleased with you for that? Even sinners are kind to people who are kind to them. If you lend money only to someone you think will pay you back, will God be pleased with you for that? Even sinners lend to sinners because they, they think they will get it all and more back. But love your enemies and be good to them. Lend without, give without expecting to be paid back. Then you will get a great reward and you will be the true children of God in heaven because he is good even to people who are unthankful and cruel. Finally, have pity on others. 
Be merciful to others, some translations rendered this. Be compassionate to others, just as your Father has pity on you. Listening to understand. Giving my attention to another person that I might truly know them. It's not just the art of curiosity. It is an active expression of love. If listening to hear, if listening to find meaning, if listening as a way of saying you have value and I want my heart to connect with yours, even if we don't agree, I want to value your place as a human being who has a voice. If listening is an expression of love and if we are called by God to love not only our brothers and sisters but our enemies as well. In this same text, Jesus said, agree with thine adversary quickly. Listen to them. If we are called to love brothers and sisters, easy. If we are called to love enemies who are cruel to us. Surely the spectrum between my brothers and sisters and my enemies would include my brothers and sisters with whom I disagree. And following this scriptural logic, we are called then to listen to our fellow Christians compassionately, mercifully, Attentively, actively, in a way that dignifies them, humanizes them, honors them, loves them, and in so doing, their cup might run over and our own hearts will be healed. Last Sunday was for some of you easy listening. For other for others. It was hard listening. For some of you, it was easy listening at times. And if you could tell by the look on my face sitting beside him, it was hard listening at times. But for all of us, it was an exercise of our Christianity. It was an exercise in learning how to be charitable, compassionate, long-suffering. A couple of quick scriptures Philippians 2, 1 through 7. This is not about our enemies. This is about how to listen to our brothers and sisters. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if, there, if any of that's real, if we're not just here going through motions, if any affection and compassion, compassion the bringing together of two wounds, compassion, the rubbing up against one another of two sets of calluses. Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, if not idea and notion, intent on one purpose, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, one of my friends and I were discussing a particular point Dr. Harris made that I disagreed with, and it's not important what it was. 
But my friend said, man, if I'd been there, I'd walked out. And calluses would have been added. Long calluses. Infection would have spread. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. And that deserves interpretation, but again, I think it's hyperbole. It's an exaggerated tone because he knows we do the opposite. The ultimate end is to love our neighbor as ourselves. But sometime an affirmative action is needed because the extreme has been so far the other way. And in our narcissism, Paul said, come to that place. Not ready to walk out as soon as you disagree, but come to that place. Regarding one another as more important than yourselves. Don't merely look out for your own personal interest, ideas, and platforms. But also for the interest of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed with all the right ideas, all the right notions, with completely perfect theology, because he was theos, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be held on to, but he emptied himself. Listening. Taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. I've got to close, so let me <clears throat> move through a couple of things that I want to say very important. Last week was another effort by our church to follow the way of Christ. Matthew 5, 6, blessed are the gentle, meek, and humble. Why are they blessed? For they will inherit the earth, not the marauding, not the totalitarian, not the dictator. For the way down is the way up. The first is last. Last week was another effort by our church to follow the way of Christ. Blessed are the merciful. Why are they blessed? For they will be shown mercy, and God knows we need it. Blessed are you when you're merciful, for you are storing up for yourself mercy. Last week was the effort of this church to follow the way of Christ. Blessed are those who work for peace and its work, for they will be called the children of God. Last week was an effort to follow the way of Christ in the same chapter. Therefore, if you're presenting your offering at the altar and you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, you say, well, it's on them. No, Jesus said, leave your offering there at the altar and go. Try to be reconciled to your brother or sister and then come back and present your offering. Not if you come to the altar and remember you've got ought against somebody, but come to the altar and, well, it's on them. No, Jesus said, not really. And Cain said, am I my brother's keeper? And God said, well, on that note... Last week was our effort to follow the way of Christ when Jesus prayed, Holy Father, I am no longer in the world, but I'm coming to you. 
My followers are still in the world, so keep them safe by the power of the name that you've given me, that they may be one. Last thing he prayed before he said, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. Forgive them, for they know not what they do. Last prayer, that they may be one even as we are. Last text we'll look at, John 17, 20 through 21. I skipped a couple there. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those who also believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, the church, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that, here's the reason I want them to be one, so that the world may believe, so that they might have a credible message of good news. Our ability to lovingly disagree and listen and be one, to be united if not uniform, Jesus said is an evangelistic mechanism and it gives the world the capacity to look at us and say, that's something worth believing in. There are great divides in the Christian church and we have a few options as our response. There are great divides in the Christian church, Catholic and Protestant, charismatic and non-charismatic, Reformed and Armenian. Some of you don't even know what that means. Fine, don't worry about it. Great divides in the Christian church, progressive, traditional, liberal, conservative. And we have a few options as our response. Number one, we can ignore them. We can ignore them either because we're overwhelmed by them or indifferent to them. There are great divides in the Christian church. The second thing that we can do is deny them. And many people, I grew up denying the divide in the Christian church. And the way you do that is to be so exclusivistic in your way of seeing Jesus that you pick a group and deny the rest of Christianity and say there's no divide. They simply, those Catholics, those whatevers, they just aren't Christian. See, that's one of the easy ways to do it. But the third way to deal with the divides in the Christian church is to seek to heal them, which was the model of the early church. Peter, Paul, and James came together in Acts 15 when the church was so divided, Gentile and Jew, and they listened, and there were sparks, but they sought to understand until finally the spokesperson for the compromise, yes, compromise, the middle ground they found, was not Paul who came pushing for it, but the brother of Jesus, James, who stood up and said, I must say these things. And he declared things painful, deeply painful to himself, but necessary for the church's healing and growth. This doesn't mean we will be totally uniform in our expressions, our styles, and our preferences. It does mean, though, that we will affirm and honor each other's love for Jesus Christ. I'll read this to you because I've got to close, but I want you to hear these last few paragraphs. One of the divides that still factors prominently in the Christian church in the West is the divide between black Christians and white Christians. Though not as pronounced as before, it still exists. Jesus seemed to believe that our divisions undermined our ability to inspire people to the way of Jesus. 
To that end, what better way for a local church like ours to be a part of the effort to find healing, peace, unity? What better way than for us to open our platform to a man like Forrest and not offer any commitment to agree, but to simply say, we will listen to you, brother. We can do that. We won't try to agree or disagree. We will attempt to do something much harder and much more helpful. We will attempt to hear, to listen. We will try to understand. We cannot stay here in our haughty arrogance that says, if I had walked every mile in your shoes, I would still maintain this position because I know it's right, Jim. Really? Do we really believe if we had walked every mile in their shoes, we'd still see it exactly this way? I can almost always understand someone. No matter how far their opinions are from mine, I can almost always understand them. It all depends on how long and intently I am willing to listen. And the wise man said, with all of thy getting, get understanding. As this relates to my fellow humans, in this case, my Christian brothers and sisters who carry hurt. As it relates to my Christian brothers and sisters who carry hurt, anger, and even resentment, bitterness, and hatred. Without justifying their hatred, their bitterness, or their resentment, I effort to get past those calluses to their hurt and anger. And I cannot believe that the attitude of, quote, just get over it already is one of charity, mercy, compassion, or love, or one that Jesus will understand, or one that will bring healing and peace. Jeremiah said, hear this, O foolish people who do not understand, who have eyes and see not, and who have ears and hear not. In Mark 8, 18, Jesus quoted that. Having eyes to see, they see not. Having ears to hear, they hear not. It's interesting and noteworthy that Jesus did not say, having mouths to speak, they speak not. That never has been our problem. Spirituality has never been bound up in the efficacy of our mouths or their willingness to prattle on. I could have responded to several things that Forrest said last week. Someone said, you should have jumped in there. He had 45 minutes to an hour. I'll be here when he's gone. I could have said a lot of things. Jim, ball player to ball player, what Richard Sherman did has nothing to do with black or white for me. And I grew up calling guys thugs in a town that was completely white, and I had no idea that it was going to become the new N-word. So could I sit here and disagree with Forrest on what he thought about Richard Sherman? That has nothing to do with race for me. It has everything to do with the school of thought we come from. Bear Bryant said, if you get in the end zone, act like you've been there before. But instead of disagreeing with Forrest, I want to know how a man with multiple degrees and a heart as big as his could end up feeling that way. And when I hear him after tell the story of what it felt like as a little boy 
to move through segregation, to be kicked away from a water fountain, to pull up in the driveway at Bellmead Country Club as a little boy in his Easter Sunday best, waiting to pick up his mama on that Easter day who was serving all the whites in Bellmead Country Club as a cook in the kitchen and even in the parking lot sitting there in his Sunday's best, an attendant there in that parking lot, not understanding, went over and made his father leave the parking lot because he thought they were dressed trying to come to dinner there, to which his father had to bow his head and say, no, sir, we're just here. I know how I feel about Richard Sherman, and I don't care if he has a 3.9 at Stanford. That's goofy to act like that to another ball player. But I also, when I listen past the words, Judy, to Forrest's heart and his life, I understand his calluses. I understand the blisters underneath. Well, I don't understand them. Couldn't unless I'd ever lived them. But I try. For sure, the mouth can be anointed to share the good news. But what I am trying to teach this church, as well as my own heart in tow, is as well as the mouth can be anointed to share the good news, to an equal extent, the ears can be just as anointed to share the same good news. And I pray that we may learn to control our insecurities and our arrogance, and we may learn to listen in love as well as we speak in love. And I pray you understand that this isn't just about race relationships between blacks and whites. This is the ethic of Jesus that we are to bring to all of our dealings with all people. And we will earn a voice by hearing theirs. And may the church of Jesus Christ set the model in a divided world, in a divided country, in a world that the United Nations is never going to heal. And Jared, as hard as your dad tries to be bipartisan, and he's one of the guys trying hard until the kingdoms of men become the kingdom of our God. This is still the hope of the world. And I had Forrest on this platform because I wanted to watch us respond. And then I wanted us to watch us respond. And I want us to learn more about the way of Jesus. It's called listening from the heart. Can you say amen? Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you for the searching, healing, kind, thoughtful, and compassionate way you search our hearts. You do surgery on us, Lord. But thank you for the anesthetic of love. Thank you, Lord, that a few calluses perhaps were scraped off the heart of my friend Forrest last week as a group of people who disagreed with him were big enough to stand on their feet and clap for his heart. <laughs> Thank you for our people who effort to do this. May we find more ways, not just here, but everywhere we go to build bridges that we might be peacemakers, that you might say, blessed are you, for you will be known by your peacemaking as a child of God. 
Teach us, Lord, to seek to understand. Heal us lovingly along the way. We pray these things in Christ's name. Listening the way of Christ in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. God bless you. Go in God's grace.